Side Hustle Show 143, building a multi-million dollar e-commerce brand on the side. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because a hustler's work is never through. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. In this episode, you're going to meet Jeremy Michael Cohen and Fred Parada, lifelong friends who went into business together after finding what they thought was an unmet need in the market, a carry-on-sized travel backpack. You're going to learn how Tortuga backpacks came into existence, how they initially developed the product and prototype, a unique way they got their startup funds, and ultimately, how they've grown the brand into a seven-figure e-commerce business over the last few years. Now, while Fred eventually quit his job at Google to Captain Tortuga full-time, it's still a side hustle for Jeremy, who's a full-time filmmaker. If you've got a product idea or are looking for one and want to get into e-commerce, this will be a fun one. Let's roll. full-time on Tortuga after many years of it being a side hustle. We are uh, four people as of right now uh, with a gang of, of freelancers and contractors that uh, really help make it all happen. Yeah, we'll be uh, a seven-figure business uh, this year. So it took some time, but uh, we've slowly kind of built up a team and uh, you know built up a, a nice business. And I think Fred's being a little modest right now because we're in the midst of, uh, well, really in the last couple of months having, you know, we will have hired three new full-time people, including a person in China to handle, uh, you know, our manufacturing operations there. So it's <laughs> kind of been, you know, the last six months have been a lot of big growth for us. And we're, you know, doing interviews right now, actually, for two of the positions. Yeah, you're being real, you're being real casual about it. Like, hey, we're doing uh, we're doing seven figures and we have like four people on our team. Like, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I got it. You acclimate to these things very quickly, right? It's like uh, as soon as you're whatever four figures, then you're like, okay, well, how do I add another zero? Like the yeah, I worked yeah. hard to get here, but like that's that's nothing now. Well, so where where did you guys start? I I you know kind of read the cursory overview about you know the romantic uh, backpacking trip through Europe and <laughs> and say, hey, these backpacks suck. So what's going on there? Yeah, well, it it is pretty much that romantic. So at the time, Fred was working at Google, living in San Francisco. I was living in Los Angeles, and I was a film school graduate student living off of student loans. And I won I won like a ten thousand dollars scholarship. And instead of just putting it all towards my tuition, I said, Fred, why don't we go to Europe? Or maybe, you know, we'd been talking about this for a long time. Fred and I have known each other literally our entire lives. Um, my dad and both of Fred's parents are from the same hometown, which is our hometown of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And we're best friends in high school and middle school. And we've known each other forever. Like, you know, went awesome. to the same classes at the Y when we were like two years old. So anyways, we uh, we're, we go to Europe the summer of 2009 and tickets were really cheap and we just kind of did it. And Eastern Europe was even cheaper then than it was now. Yeah, perfect. Like peak peak recession time. I love it. It was. It was peak recession. Our, our flights were disgustingly cheap. So we go. I do a whole bunch of research on Craigslist. I buy uh, an old Jansport that I kind of like the idea behind her. It was really specifically designed for travel. Fred bought, was it Go Light? Was that the company, Freddie? Yeah, which is mostly a hiking company focused on making really light gear. 
Yeah, so we get to Europe. My backpack literally breaks the first night. Fred's backpack is I I even remember it just like it didn't look right for traveling and it was it was kind of it was bright red. Yeah, it was bright red. It was very cylindrical. It kind of loaded from the top. And uh, we had just the best time ever, but um, the, the backpack sucked. And maybe it tells you a lot about us. We were just talking about like, oh, you know, I think we could make better backpacks. This is stupid. This is stupid. I would do this different. Um, some we were I literally think we were on a like a very long train ride back from Croatia to Germany. And I kind of joked that Tortuga would be an awesome name for our backpack company. We get back to the States. Fred buys the the URL TortugaBackpacks.com. We had both read uh, the four hour work week and other similar stuff before then okay. and i knew that i needed to make some money because i i'm an independent filmmaker and i knew that i would need some money outside of independent filmmaking which is not like the most lucrative thing in the world and fred i think by then you knew you didn't want to work at google forever so it was really you know, I, I don't know. It's really great. And I, I think it's almost been disgustingly easy to be in business with each other for this long. Like we've never really had any blow ups or anything like that. And we can we're both pretty rational, rational people. And we just you know, we started the company and I was at film school and I was doing stuff at work. And Fred was uh, I was doing stuff after school and Fred would come home after work. And and we just kept on going from there. Well, it's one thing to say, hey, our current situation sucks. Our current backpacks suck. These products could be so much better. And it's another thing to go out and do something or know what even the next step to do would be. Like, so did you, were you like making uh, mock-ups in like CAD software or, you know, what was the, your next step in like actually designing this thing? Well, I guess um, I think the best part is that we were both so stupid at the time that we didn't know everything that it would entail. Did Do you think that's true, Fred? Yeah, the uh, being naive is good for starting a business because like <laughs> you don't think about, oh, well, this part's going to be hard. I don't know how to do this part, which is really important, et cetera. You just kind of, you know, we rushed into it kind of headlong. I mean, the first thing we did was buy a domain name because that was the only thing that we did know how to do that okay. was like on the to-do list. Uh, but we certainly don't know how to or didn't know how to use CAD, still don't, or how to design anything very well. So yeah, we just kind of started plowing forward. And by the time you get to the really hard parts, at least for us, we were already so committed to it. It was like, well, we've hit this hurdle. We better figure out how to get over it as opposed to, okay, here's a hard part. Let's let's quit and try something different. We're already kind of invested mentally and, and emotionally. I think Fred and I both have a personality. Like if, if you were to tell either one of us, like you're going to be the CEO of Microsoft tomorrow, I think I, I don't, you know, I think it was like, okay, you know, I'll figure this out. And we just kind of went, we went about starting the company in that kind of way. And I guess I take on lots of projects outside of Tortuga where I've never really, you know, I've never produced this kind of commercial before. I've never produced this kind of movie before. And then you just go do it and figure it out. And you have a certain amount of confidence that you'll be able to learn um, as you're doing it. So we I we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, frankly. Yeah, I can I can relate to that or, or I can at least admire that from afar. Like my roommate was uh, was the same way. Like he'd go on this job interview and they'd be like, do you know programming language X, Y, Z? And just straight up, yes. And <laughs> having no idea. And then he'd go home and like cram for 12 hours and come back and do his like, uh, you know, test on it, you know, the following day. And, and he'd do just fine. Just like, but I would never be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. I never even heard of that. And yeah, I've, I think I've bluffed my way into every <laughs> every single job I've, I've ever gotten. But I think that's the only way you kind of move up in the world is you just have to at some point do something you're not qualified to do. 
There you go. Plus, like with the programming example, I mean, the the important thing is that you know how to think like a programmer, solve those kinds of problems, right? The um, the language is just kind of the means which you can pick up. It's more that underlying uh, thought process that really matters, which is probably true in business too. Yes, he's he's at Google too, by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. So. Fred, at this point, are you looking out uh, to like Alibaba for manufacturing? Are you trying to find like local manufacturing? What's what's the step to actually produce? Like, do you do a prototype first, or you say, "Hey, this is what we want done. Just make us ten thousand of these." Yeah, it's uh, so for us, it's usually a little bit longer process because everything we do are original designs. Um, so you know, a lot of people do either white labeling existing products or you take something and you say, hey, move this part over here and change that. Mm-hmm. We do everything from scratch. This is just another example of we didn't really know any better on what we were getting into, but uh, this is <laughs> became kind of how we do things. Uh, so, you know, made it a little harder to start up and get started and figure out what we're doing. But and you designed and you designed it all yourself. So the ideas, the feature set, that kind of thing uh, we had, but we did hire. Uh, so initially hired a a contract uh, industrial designer to kind of turn a list of ideas and features into, you know, something that made sense as a, as a total product. Okay. And how did you, how did you connect with them? Uh, we found him originally that was on Elance. So we worked together just on that first project. And then we've worked a little bit longer term with, uh, with another uh, industrial design firm uh, that we found through a, a referral, okay. which was later down the line. And where are we at now? And now we've uh, just literally as of uh, last week, I guess, uh, hired hired a full time uh, industrial designer. So now we'll be able to do do all this stuff in house, um, you know, kind of keep leveling up our, our design shops and also hopefully move move a little faster in the future. Try and build out some different uh, different product lines. Yeah, exactly. OK, so uh, let's talk about getting actually going from idea to uh, having a physical thing. What's that? I don't know, like this this whole process of like inventing thing, it sounds so quaint. I picture like, you know, Edison, you know, 100 years ago, like actually like inventing stuff. And then, you know, people do still do this every day, but it still seems like a very difficult thing um, to, to get off the ground. What's that process? Uh, what did it look like for you guys in terms of finding a, a manufacturer to build a, a build a prototype? Well, I'll say that was by far and away the hardest part uh the hardest like initial hurdle and probably even with our v2 the hardest part as well it's easy to have the idea it's easy to write up a list of features it's easy to tell a designer to put those features into something and then easy enough if you're a visual person or have some experience um kind of communicating about visual things uh to get like a decent enough sketch and blueprint but finding a manufacturer is very difficult. The first time we ended up, uh, I think we wanted to work in China originally, but we ended up manufacturing in Orange County in the United States. And pretty frankly, we had a terrible experience. And I think after that, we were, you know, as we started to scale up and go to version two, we knew we need to go to China. And Fred, why don't you talk a little bit more about the process of actually, you know, engaging with someone in China? The U.S. run ended up being in retrospect, now that I know the term, I like to say that that's like our MVP, our minimum viable product, okay. uh, because we didn't really make any money on it uh, through trial and error of trying to manufacture it. The design got kind of dumbed down, so it was ugly and you know sold, but very slowly. And you know, a pretty low percentage of people who saw it actually turned into customers because it was too ugly for them <laughs> to carry on their backs. Okay. Um, 
as we redesigned the bag uh, to be a little more aesthetically pleasing, we knew that we need to go back to China as part of the you know MVP kind of idea. We didn't really make any money on those bags uh, because of the cost of manufacturing them in the U.S. Our bags are pretty big. There's a lot of features. They're pretty complicated. So it's very labor intensive. What was your what was your initial investment uh, in terms of the product design, in terms of the initial manufacturing run? I think this is part one of the coolest things we have to brag about. So it was probably about maybe $20,000 initially to really get going. We found a $15,000 interest-free loan in Los Angeles um, from the Jewish Free Loan Association. And anybody in Los Angeles who either needs to get out of, you know, credit card debt or wants to open a small business, it's open to anybody regardless of religion, the same organization as other branches across the country. And then Fred and I, I probably put in, you know, let's say about $2,500 each. But, you know, we really got started with that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great resource. Yeah. Open to, open to all religions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And weirdly enough, it's more important that you're in L.A. than that you're Jewish for them. I don't know why that's that's a big limiting factor, but they have outposts other places. Uh, Their assumption although, is if you're in Los Angeles, you're probably just Jewish. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably true. The San Francisco one, you uh, you have to be Jewish for that one because oh, we tried okay. to get we tried to get a second <laughs> one through them, um, but you know, kind of live and you learn. But going back to your your original question, so we knew we needed to to move manufacturing to China to be able to to scale this business and have the the margins, you know, on each individual unit to to be able to build a business and eventually pay ourselves and hire people, all that kind of stuff. So we end up kind of fumbling around a little bit more. The design firm that we were working with at the time referred us to one factory. We went through the sampling process with them, which is, you know, you give them the design, they make, uh, they try to make the bag from that. And, you know, the first one's always a little screwy because you're trying to go from, you know, specs on paper to a physical product. So you get that first one, you make notes and you go through a couple rounds of revisions until you have a product that, that you're ready to manufacture. Um, so went through that process with them. And then as we got to the end, they wanted, their minimum order size was so big that we would never have been able to afford enough to pay for an order of them. And so I they wanted s- us to do uh, 3,000 units uh, right off the bat. And I will say that we stipulated up front, both our designer and the factory, that we, you know, we couldn't make that many, that we wanted a much lower minimum order quantity. But somehow... They kind of just got glossed over and we kept on moving forward. But, uh, you know, just a, a piece of advice, like if you are going to start working with somebody in China, just be so vociferous. Just make sure everybody knows, you know, the, what your minimum order quantity is. And for your first, you know, run of a product, it will probably be low and lots of factories will say, no, we don't want to work with you. But don't waste six months of your life doing a whole bunch of samples and prototypes if you then won't be able to work with that factory because you'll waste time money goodwill lots of stuff like that so did you guys have to jump ship and start yeah we did have to uh so as we got to the you know they wanted that that's the trade-off with china so the you know your unit costs are typically going to be lower but you're going to have to place in a bigger order because otherwise it's just not worth them doing it in terms of money coming in time to set up the production line all that kind of stuff so you know those are the trade-offs but even even then, 3,000 pieces was a little bit high for us. So eventually found another factory, also through the same designer, through a referral that would work with us, do do a smaller run. Uh, that first run in the U.S. was 100 pieces. So couldn't really go from 100 to 3,000, <laughs> especially when we didn't make hardly any money on those 100. So eventually found a factory that would do a, a smaller run for us. And 
finance that through, uh, we kind of re-upped the loan that we had with the Jewish Free Loan Association. We had paid off some of it and kind of re-extended our you know, line of credit, if you even want to call it there. And then also did a small loan with a lending club, which is kind of a peer-to-peer loan loan platform, uh, plus, you know, kicked in a little bit more of our own money uh, and got that, that first Chinese order uh, through. And I will say during this time, so I was about to say all the things Fred just said. So at that point, we had to kind of put more money into the business to make it happen. But we had kind of we we really strongly believed that the idea would work, that people like the product, that we had kind of invented something useful. But during that whole time, the entire process Fred just discussed, Fred and I were both working, doing other stuff. Fred was freelancing as a marketer and SEO guru and content. Uh, content guy and i was working in the the film and commercial industry being on set a whole lot so you know we got to the point where we had kind of like tested tested a premise and gotten a company uh you know to a second version of a product we were manufacturing in china completely as a side hustle and it actually worked well weirdly enough as a side hustle at that point because Especially in the manufacturing stages. I mean, you know, with a business, there's always a million things you can be doing. But with manufacturing, you know, we send notes on a sample and then we'd have to wait two weeks to get the next sample back. So, you know, there's always kind of a downtime there where, you know, obviously we should be marketing the business and plenty of other things you can be doing. But because of the the slow lead times and nature of manufacturing, it sort of lended itself to to being able to be done on the side or be doing other work at the same time without like really, really handicapping the business. Yeah. Two things I want to say there is number one, I think at that point of a business, it's really easy to do a lot of like what I call pretend work or like playing business. And we kind of didn't need to, we, because Fred and I both had to like pay our bills in other ways, we didn't have to do that. You know, like we got the work done we needed to at nights during the weekend. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Lending Club because like, you know, if this is 2009, 2010, like nowadays, it seems like the perfect like product that would go viral on Kickstarter, right? And there probably has been other examples of similar like travel products that. Oh my like God. Go crazy. Yes. It's like, oh man, we don't even need to pay interest. We can, we can raise money for free if we just, you know, go crazy on, on these Kickstarter campaigns. What did you, what did you do to sell the first hundred units? I wanted to ask about, you know, market validation. Hey, we're putting 20 grand into this and, and grant some of that's in the form of a loan, but we're, we're putting some skin in the game here before ordering, you know, more, you know, more of the, you know, the big bulk order from China. You know, how did you move those first hundred to say, okay, there is a, there is a demand for this thing. Hey, just a heads up, Fred's line has developed a little bit of static from here on out. He's still understandable, but just want to apologize for that. Uh, well, as someone with a marketing background and having read for our work week, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that we didn't, we probably didn't do that much market validation, uh, you know, talking to people and surveying and stuff like that. But, you know, we didn't do some of the, the testing that Ferris recommends and stuff. And, you know, part of it was that we had a, we knew it would be a, a more expensive product. So it was a little bit, a little bit more difficult to do. Uh, and this was also before, I guess, Kickstarter existed, but it wasn't a big thing. So that didn't even seem like an option or it was never even really a thought at yeah. that point. But yeah, the first hundred, we, you know, mostly it was, it was word of mouth. It was, we did some like sending out review units and having travel bloggers review and stuff. A lot of it, uh, we ended up, I was writing kind of a lot of content that was sort of more SEO focused at the time. So if someone was searching for just anything around carry on bags, hiking bags, and why, you know, how a travel bag is different from a hiking bag, any of that kind of stuff where someone would be 
like searching for a question or trying to solve this problem that that we felt like the problem the product solved. Okay. I was writing a lot of content around that, so you know that ended up being a small trickle. But then I think some of that kind of combined to eventually some of those pages started ranking well. To then the site started ranking well for travel backpacks. So that kind of nudged us in the discussion enough to to be able to sell some bags. But I mean, at that point, we're selling like a handful of bags a month, like two to five bags a month. So, you know, it didn't take that much to be able to sell two to five uh, a month. You know, you only need a a few customers kind of coming in the door. But we had basically no expenses at that time as well. You know, whatever the tiny amount we were paying for warehousing and uh, and our domain, but not not a whole lot else. So you guys did have uh, somebody fulfilling them. What what did that look? It's kind of big and bulky, like if you're going to store 100 of these in your garage or something. We were using Amazon's service at the time, which was probably perfect, uh, perfect place to kind of like learn with. And we were only selling in the United States. So we weren't they weren't all stored in my garage. Okay, And just out of curiosity today, what so the products are for sale on Amazon and your own site? We just got back into to selling on Amazon. We did it for a while when they were also our fulfillment um, service, mm-hmm. but there were some issues with them and why it didn't work kind of for the business at large. But uh, so we switched, uh, but now we're getting back to, to sending a few units to Amazon and kind of experimenting there and trying to trying to learn the lay of the land and figure out uh, how we can be successful there too. What percentage of sales do you see coming through their ecosystem versus, you know, uh, coming through on your own site? Well, I, I we're just kind of getting back on Amazon right now. I think this is like a big project for us. We were off it completely for for okay. years, so uh, like it's negligible right now. But uh, I think it's a goal to get it uh, to get it much bigger. Yeah, that's actually kind of a that's kind of a good thing because it's like you know that's that's uncharted territory in a way. Yeah, I, and I think we we didn't know enough about it initially, or uh, I think uh, you know honestly, Fred is leading a pretty big push and it's kind of its own uh it's its own front to the war let's put it that way that we weren't even fighting and if you if you reach this level without you know necessarily even tapping into that channel the last couple years that could be big especially coming up on q4 yeah and i think uh likewise within you know let's say the beginning next year we're going to try to push into uh to europe in a more serious way as well so what, like, I'm still, still like just a, and, and in admiration of you guys, like to just say, hey, I know we can make a, we can create our own product. Huh. We're going to compete with Osprey, with REI, with Deuter, and and we're just going to do it. <laughs> well, the the truth is, we felt like we, and this is partially based on kind of the approach uh, that uh, Tim Ferriss outlined in the Four Hour Workweek is we felt like we, in some ways, weren't really competing with any of them. You know what we. When we started making the bags, the only kind of comparably designed travel bags at all were they were made by those companies that you just cited. You know, REI has one, Osprey has one, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that's like one out of hundreds of bags that they're making at any given time. Like that is they make that bag so they can slap the word travel on it. But that is not a priority. The travel market is not a priority for them. Uh, so we felt like, you know, we weren't taking them on head on. We were just kind of, you know, doing a little end around and even if they saw and noticed, they would think it just wouldn't be a threat to them, you know, between us being small and that being not what their market is. We felt like we weren't, you know, fighting them head on and and that that would allow us to kind of establish ourselves as, you know, this is we make travel bags. That's all we do. Every, there are no suitcases. There are no backpacks for any other purpose. And if you travel, carry on and, you know, want to travel light and all this stuff and kind of fit into that market, then, you know, we're going to focus 100 percent of our efforts on you as opposed to 
we're going to knock one product every couple of years that we will claim is for you, but you know we don't really care about it that much. Yeah, we felt um, you know doing a lot of research before we started. There was no one else doing exactly what we did at the time. We kind of think that you know Minol kind of almost exactly copied our business model as an example, but you couldn't just find you couldn't search you know carry on travel backpack and find something that was just made for that use case, which really was kind of the that was the idea for the business. Like we thought we had kind of were doing something new and we weren't competing with anybody yeah. else. I'm glad I'm glad you guys said that. Was, uh, that's the answer I was hoping that you would give, but I didn't want to like f- force feed it. <laughs> um, say, uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's a good way to get started, right? Look at what a big company's doing and go after something that is not a focus for them. It's the same. There are small startups making, you know, some tech product or an app or whatever, and then Google copies them or something or Facebook does. But you know, if those big companies, if, if that's like not core to what they do and where they make money, then they might compete with you for a minute and hang around. But, you know, eventually they're probably just going to drop off because they're not going to invest the resources there. And, you know, you can you can be thinking about that problem 100 percent of the time. And it's, you know, this tiny little sliver of their uh, their mindset, yeah, which is weird, right? Because it's like I get on a plane uh, about a million times more often than I hit the backcountry. So it's um <laughs> it's a more frequent use case yeah, at least yeah it's i mean it's not a you know we felt like we were niching down versus those companies but it's not like to a small market i mean yeah. it's a lot of people out there uh, that still you know see the wisdom in carrying a backpack over over a suitcase when they travel yeah and i think ferris has a little phrase he always says that you know the initial the initial niche is not the ultimate market for something um so we've obviously stumbled into like a much larger market than just the initial hardcore you know 20 something travelers we were targeting initially mm-hmm. so yeah that's a good that's a good lead in where do you where do you see this going in terms of future growth and and product expansion and stuff like that I think we're working really hard to to keep growing. Uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily put a number on it. I think we want to keep uh, going up and up. I, I gave this uh, comparison to someone recently. I've been thinking about us kind of in terms of Under Armour recently. So Under Armour started, they made a t-shirt that was really excellent for playing, you for wearing under your football pads and also work really well for playing lacrosse. And, and then they made other shirts and, you know, pants that went underneath your football pads for cold weather and stuff like that and kept on growing from that. But, um, you know, made products with that were really excellent for a uh, a use case in a particular arena that being like hardcore sports i think we're somewhat similar to that fred i don't know what's your what's your answer from a slightly different perspective yeah that's uh i, I think that sums it up well we uh you know we started with the original ambition was just to have like a product and a business that, you know, we thought would be more of a, a passive income thing. You know, you read the four hour work week and you kind of buy in hundred percent everything, but <laughs> totally. didn't quite work out exactly like that. But uh, I think it was a great first step to get us started. And, you know, now we've got two kind of luggage uh, equivalent backpacks, a day pack, we're doing some accessories and, you know, kind of deciding where to go next. So a lot of that stuff is still an experiment like accessories and then whatever works, we'll do more of. And, as we grow, we get more input from from outside people. But you know, a lot of a lot of what we've done to date has just been, hey, I want a product that does this, or hey, I ran into this problem on the road, so let's make something. Yeah, another really uh, uh, something I'm really passionate about, which goes back to the very beginning of the company of scratching our own itch, is I want to keep on thinking about like what would the products that Fred and I would 
you know, what would we kill for? What do we desperately want that doesn't exist or that we can make dramatically better that we can keep on designing? So I don't think we want to like throw a whole bunch of, we don't want to throw a whole bunch of crap out there. I think we want to keep on scratching our own itch and make stuff that's just really, you know, we're, we're the ideal target market here and make stuff that, that, you know, we pony up our own money for. Yeah, I like the Under Armour example. I like, like even the example of like Rick Steves, right? He started out on public TV, I think, and then he's you know got his book empire. He does his tour groups, and I think he's got his own line of luggage too. So he's kind of like it's all under that one uh, umbrella or that one kind of you know brand. But he's uh, he's expanded uh, horizontally quite a bit. Just for people who are thinking of you know creating a product of their own, starting an e-commerce store of their own, anything you guys would do differently had to, if you had to go back in time. I'd say don't waste a lot of money. Right now, like it's even easier, but don't waste a lot of money on the design of your website or logo up front. We got a logo from 99designs or something, a similar site. I would recommend doing the same thing and just get started with a uh, free Shopify or, you know, cheap Shopify and WordPress theme, but just get the ball going and just blog right away. I don't know. Fred, what would you say? Yeah, I think momentum was was really what carried us through, uh, you know, two years from idea to selling something. So, you know, even if the the steps forward were very small or incremental, as as long as they were forward or, you know, even if there's some backward steps, you have a few more forward. As long as you're moving and doing something that that kind of keeps you going. And, you know, sometimes you got to fill that in with stuff that's maybe, you know, not not hugely productive in the short term. Like, you know, I mentioned buying the domain name or whatever, but if it just kind of pushes you further down into being more involved, more invested, feel like you have some momentum and, and things are happening, then then you'll just keep pushing through even when you hit some hard times. I like it. Keep the, keep the progress moving forward. This has been huge for us. But think about having a co-founder and Fred and I kind of have like a very, you know, familial or brotherly or something relationship. And if you're married, maybe even think about starting a company with your significant other. But I think it's so helpful psychologically to have somebody to kind of keep you to both be able to pick up the slack, but also keep you accountable. Like there are a lot of times where either one of us were so busy that maybe the the business would have died without kind of that, you know, that like really unsaid psychological pressure of I don't want to let Fred down. Okay, I like that too. Jeremy, uh, Fred, thank you guys so much for joining me. Everyone, it's tortugabackpacks.com for your travel carry-on backpacks that hold a lot of stuff and, uh, and we'll still make it so you don't have to check a bag. We'll wrap things up with your uh, number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Uh, Jeremy, you can go first. Use Asana when you're working on projects with teams. Uh, I've come to love Asana. You know, you waste a lot less time. Everything's really organized. It's uh, it's great and it's free and you can use it for your newfound business, your side hustle, your primary business, your family, whatever. <laughs> I like, I'm going to talk to my mom on Asana. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, especially if you know you're working on something as a side hustle, to to create some divisions in your mind, even if they're sort of artificial. Let's say you work from home for your main job, and then when you do your side hustle, maybe you go to a cafe to work or something like that. But when I was doing a lot of different client work, plus Tortuga, you know, it felt like torn in a million directions. So any kind of artificial boundaries or limits or differentiation I could make between those uh, was really helpful to me. So. You know, I don't know, change where you're working, change what you're wearing, anything to kind of change your mindset and say, okay, now I'm in the mode of this business or this project, uh, I think is helpful and will let you kind of mentally set aside the other stuff and, and really focus. Okay. That's a good one. I like that one. Guys, thanks so much. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. 
my biggest takeaways from this call with Fred and Jeremy. First one, you scratch your first itch. As Jeremy says, hey, these big companies may have gaps in their product lines that you can exploit like Tortuga did. If you see uh, if you see a need in the market that you would that you would pay for, right? There's probably other people like you that would pay for it as well. Number two, hey, start as lean as you can. Like they say, hey, we started with just uh, a website, and you you may even be able to get an, an interest free loan from Jewish Free Loan Association if there's a branch uh, nearby you. Uh, number three is have a partner. Like this thing would never have gotten started if Fred and Jeremy didn't have each other to keep each other motivated and accountable. And I think it's the same case for my my wife and her photography business. Had uh, had she not had her partner to uh, to work together, you know, they may have never gotten the nerve up to start charging money for their services. So the next one I have, I think this is number four, is just to make progress one step at a time. It's just solving one problem after the other, and it can be daunting and it can be frustrating, but it's just you know, that, that constant progress that keeps you moving forward. So it's like in the case of their uh, backpack business, it's like, okay, uh, step one, we've got to come up with a list of features. Step two, we've got to get a design drawing. Okay. How do we do that? Uh, step three, now we've got to get a prototype made. Okay. Who, how do we figure that out? And you just kind of, you go and you go and you go. And all of a sudden you have a real product for sale that real people can buy. And and the last point, uh, the last takeaway they have is is um, uh, Fred's final note about creating these mental divisions between uh, work life, home life, and and hustle life. And I thought that was uh, a really valuable point to to kind of trick your brain into saying, okay, this is now this is my time. This is work time. Let's go get it done. So thank you guys so much for listening. If uh, if you like this episode, be sure to stop by. Let me know. It's at sidehustlenation.com slash tortuga or slash one, uh, what is it, 143. So tortuga is, uh, is Spanish for turtle if you studied a different language in high school. So you'll find uh, all the notes and links uh, mentioned in this episode over there. Sorry, no highlight reel uh, this time. I've got a little bit behind on my scheduling there, but those will be back uh, next week. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to The Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 